Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of Collective Wisdom is brought to you by Forever Projects, a non-profit set up by Mark and Anna Domkins after they had returned to Australia having spent three years teaching in Tanzania where they adopted three children. Seeing firsthand some of the work that was being done by the orphanage Forever Angels to prevent children being abandoned in the first place, Mark and Anna started by simply sharing some of the stories of hope and optimism with family and friends back at home and were inspired by the response to Dare to Dream Bigger. They took that little seed of a dream and today Forever Projects works alongside four local agencies in Tanzania helping women to get access to healthcare and education when they most need it and empowering them to create a sustainable future for themselves and their families to live the life of dignity and hope they deserve. Through the power of the collective, they've been able to send over a million dollars to Tanzania to help transform lives forever. You can find out more about how to donate or become a subscriber to this inspiring project that is transforming lives at foreverprojects.org. 100% of your donation goes directly to helping those who really need it, which is why this sponsorship takes the form of a gift exchange. Mark exchanged his valuable time to share the remarkable story of the journey he and Anna have been on, and you can hear all about that wisdom in episode 15. And in return, I'm here to spread the word about their incredible project. Thanks so much to Mark and Anna and the team at Forever Projects for the inspiring work they're doing. Hello, my collective wisdom friends, and welcome to episode 15 of the podcast. I have a wonderfully inspiring guest today, Mark Domkins. He and his wife, Anna, are a remarkable couple who not only adopted three children whilst they were living and working in Tanzania, but have gone on to create a non-profit organization that continues to support local agencies in providing access to healthcare and education. Forever Projects truly is making a huge difference to so many families. It's a remarkable story and Mark talks about how he found the inspiration to turn lemons into lemonade from his own mum who, although she's sadly no longer with us, is still there in the background gently encouraging him to keep going when times are challenging. We talked about there being often a long middle to some of these stories, the bit where you don't quite know how this is going to work out and you just have to keep going, which has never been more relevant than lately as we're starting to look back at the year since we went into that first lockdown here in the UK. I've been fortunate enough to receive the first dose of the vaccine last week and I'd like to say a huge thank you to the staff and volunteers at the North Cotswold Hospital 
for the amazing job they're doing. Uh, I know this is a story being repeated across the country. It's such a tremendous combined effort to help us get through this and um, and save lives. And it's, yeah, it's really a testament to the power of the collective and a reminder that when the future looks challenging, it's important to take a look back at how far we've come since all this began. I hope that wherever you're listening in the world, you're able to reflect on how much you've done to adapt and rise to this challenge and and find the resilience you need to get through. I hope too that Mark's story will give you a, a shot of hope and optimism and just be a bit of a, a way to lift your spirits. So with that, I'll hand you over to Mark. So I'm thrilled to say my guest today is Mark Domkins, who, along with his wife, Anna, is the founder and brains behind Forever Projects, a nonprofit based in Australia, helping to support women in Tanzania with a mission to create an equal future where all women can provide for themselves, their families, and lead the life of dignity and hope they deserve forever. Forever Projects is helping women get access to healthcare when they are giving birth and then helps them to set up in business using their own skill sets, whether it be tailoring or jewelry making, with an emphasis on empowerment and creating a sustainable future for themselves and their families. I first met Mark when we were both coaching with the old MBA. And what I loved about his story is how deeply intertwined Forever Projects is with his own personal family. Mark and Anna have adopted three children from Tanzania, and they now have six children in total, which is quite remarkable in itself. And Forever Projects first kicked off when they organized an event to share some of the stories of hope that they'd first seen firsthand in Tanzania with family and friends back in Australia. Mark is someone who leads with total compassion and generosity, and I'm so thrilled he agreed to join me today to share a bit more about this inspirational story. So, Mark, tell us a bit more about what first took you to Tanzania and how this all began for you. Yeah, well, that's, that's a, such a pleasure to be here with you, Kat. And it's, um, yeah, thinking back more than 10 years ago, actually, we, um, we moved to Tanzania in mid-2010, Anna and I, with our four-year-old and one-year-old at the time. And um, for and I'm a math teacher by trade, so we were teaching at an international school um, in a little town called Moshi, which is where a lot of people start uh, their hike for Kilimanjaro. So we, you know, leave our home and walk walk to school and see the slopes of Kilimanjaro just to our left as we were walking to walking to the school. So it was a beautiful like time of our life, full of adventure. But we for a couple of years, Kat, we'd been kind of really strongly feeling that. Uh, there was an opportunity for us to open our family up to children who didn't have a family of their own. And we'd explored that a bit while living in Australia, but a, in, in combination with like wanting to move and live abroad, that, that hadn't gone away. And we really felt strongly about our family being one that if, yeah, if kids didn't have a family of their own biological relatives that could care for them, that we'd want to um, open our family up to invite them to be part of ours. Yeah. Gosh, that's incredible. So you already had a one and a four-year-old. I mean, even that just to sort of set off for East yeah. Africa with a one and four-year-old, that's brave. That's uh... Yeah, I remember um, getting into the A380 with Emirates from Sydney Airport and uh, putting our little daughter Jemima with thinking, like, is she going to fit into that bulkhead bassinet thing? That, oh, you know, yeah, I've been there. And, I've been and, there. She was, uh, and she was the worst sleeper up until that point. So we were like, how's this going to go? But she was great. And, um, yeah, we, we ended up... Ended up there, and um, yeah, it was just it was just an amazing 
time of our life. So we, uh, from that point, started. And I guess we'd had, you know, prior to moving, had obviously decided that we might be open to looking at adopting while we lived overseas. So we've been really carefully looking at the country that we would move to. You know, there are obviously laws, their views around adoption. If there was good legislation in place to protect children who didn't have a family of their own, uh, and we came across this amazing organisation called Forever Angels Baby Home that was caring for malnourished and abandoned children from zero to five years old in a city called Mwanza in the west of Tanzania. And um, we just were in love with their mission of family preservation at, at all costs, keeping kids with biological relatives. Uh, if they'd been, if, you know, if malnourishment meant that the relatives weren't able to care for them or if tragically their mother had died in childbirth, their first priority was obviously to provide nutrition for the child, but then find any traceable relative that could, once the child was back to full health, care for them. So well, we really resonated with that focus of family first, where adoption would only ever be a last resort right. for that yeah. child's, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So so you, you got involved with the, so it was an orphanage, the Forever Angel? Yeah. Like a, yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so so you must have been there for quite a while to, to how long were you in, yeah. town, in total? Yeah, we were there uh, three and a half years in total. So we, yeah, moved there mid-2010 and then moved home end of 2013. And we started the fostering process for our three kids at the end of 2010. So, yeah, we went from a family of um, a four-year-old and a one-year-old to being a family with, Anna and I were like not even the 30, we joke about this, and we had a four-year-old and four one-year-olds in East Africa. And <laughs> so when we like... A month or two later, turned thirty. We we're like, yeah, okay, this is this is about right. We should really be thirty if we're doing this. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness! So, so I mean, and you were both working at the same time. So I mean, it just must have yeah. been full on, absolutely. Full yeah, on. it was pretty chaotic. Yeah, we were lucky in that we had. Um, it was at an international school, so it was kind of this large compound that had obviously all the classrooms and all stuff that a normal school would have. But then it there was a half the students were boarding students from. Um, within Tanzania and East Africa itself, but also internationally, there was a number of students coming in and yeah, doing their either senior schooling or doing their high schooling there. So um, my wife, Anna, was a boarding parent for the year 11 and 12 students, form five, six. And so our house was on the school campus attached to this boarding house. Wow. So not only do we have a four-year-old and four one-year-olds, but she was caring for 30, you know, 17 oh and 18 year old girls doing their, doing their diploma. And then obviously the maths, classroom I taught at was, you know, within the school campus and the school grounds as well. So for those early um, kind of one to two years when our kids were still, you know, learning to walk <laughs> as, as little toddlers, we, we pretty much most of our life was on the school campus. We'd leave our home in the morning and, you know, go to the school dining hall for meals with all the boarders. And then I'd go to the classroom and already come home. And then after I'd finished teaching, we'd kind of tag out and she'd go and look after the boarding students and I'd be with our kids. So it was Oh, it was intense. Yeah. <laughs> and was it quite remarkable? You know, I mean, just people must have been like, so what's the story here when they saw you as a family and kind of, yeah, how's this come about? Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. It's, um, it was really interesting culturally, like I guess for the first little while, just because it was very, I mean, it's hard enough anyone anywhere in the world to take five kids out and go shopping. But, um, you know, we would <laughs> go shopping down at the local, the local Tanzanian market where there's, you know, chooks hanging from the string and it's, you know, like beautiful yeah. fresh fruit and vegetables and, you know, all the, all the beauty and chaos of, the, of, an, of a bustling East African market. So we didn't really take the kids shopping in those early days, but as they grew up and as we, you know, started to be able to actually 
get around and be mobile as a family. Um, yeah, you would certainly have people looking and you're like, what's going on? And it's such a friendly kind of conversational society. And so people come up and they just not with any judgment, but just with curiosity, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. Who's kids what's, are these? What is the then, story here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we, you know, we'd learned Swahili by then. So we were able to have great conversations with people. And once they understood that these kids had no other option for a family and that we'd um, stepped in to integrate them into ours, and they could see that we loved the Tanzanian culture, that we could speak Swahili fluently, that we'd lived there for a number of years, that we, you know, we felt part of the town. There was a real affirming kind of acceptance of that decision, which meant a lot to us. Uh, I think mm-hmm. looking back, that was really important um, for us to feel that the, the people of Tanzania, you know, they understood that you know, there were these, like any country has, you know, issues with kids who are abandoned and um, are in the kind of custody of social welfare and to see that, these kids were being cared for by people who love their country was that it meant something to them meant a lot yeah, to us as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. forms, forms those bridges. Just, just yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, you're doing your bit, you're adopting three children. So how did you go from, from that to, I know we'll, we'll start a whole nonprofit <laughs> and, and really yeah. dig in. Yeah, well, we had no intention at all of, um, I think like any story, you know, you take your first step out the door and, you see what happens and our, our, you know, the growth of forever projects has purely been driven by the vision um, of the local teams on the ground in Tanzania. So we mentioned forever angels baby home was the organization we'd adopted from, but they were passionately trying to keep kids. Like they didn't want to see kids entering orphanage. They wanted to try and get ahead of the problem. Right. And if, if, uh, you know, someone had come with a child that, you know, if the mother had passed away, like I said earlier, but the auntie was alive and couldn't afford you know, she, she wasn't lactating, so couldn't afford formula milk. This baby home would provide nutrition, get the child to a healthy weight, but make sure the auntie or whatever family member it was had constant contact with the child and there was a plan for reunification and then follow up afterwards to make sure that they grew up in that family. And so we could see them passionately working towards this and then they started thinking about ways that they could actually allocate significantly more parts of their time and energy and budget towards getting ahead of the problem and actually creating systems change where women in that community would know that if they were faced with this huge obstacle of there's so many reasons why a woman might not be able to lactate, uh, you know, it might be that she's mm. HIV positive or it could be malaria, TB, just underweight, like so many reasons why. And then that nutritional obstacle causes so many women to have to abandon these kids because they feel like they'd be better off. And, you know, there's no social welfare access kind of support for those kinds of things that we just take for granted so they they wanted to make sure there was a program for those women and awareness that there was a place that they could come that they could get access to the nutrition they needed and that within 12 months they would be re you know um and the, the child wouldn't be such at such a low weight that they would even need right. to enter so the baby home giving you know, them the could, best chance to start in life yeah because yeah, that's such a yeah. vulnerable yeah. age yeah. Isn't it? yeah yeah so we saw that we saw that work happening and we thought we spoke to the team and said what is it you would need to kind of grow this. And they said, it's just funding. Our budget's $4,000, you know, US per year to this particular initiative. And so, you know, and there were so many inspiring stories uh, of, of work. There was one lady who was uh, living with her husband, some kind of drama had happened and the, the husband had kicked her out with her young son, Edward. And she then was, you know, left to try and fend for him on the streets. He started to lose weight and she had no other option but to feel like she would just leave him with this baby home. So she went and left him at the gate of the baby home, walked off. But luckily one of the staff members saw this 
and they chased after her and, and, and called her back and they invited her in and heard her story and then created a plan for that, um, for him to, you know, be able to stay with her in the community. They found a place for her to rent, provided nutrition for him. And he never actually needed to enter the baby home in the first place. And then she was able to be set up in a business. And so stories like that were like, people at home would just love to get behind this. And so we um, took stories like that back to Australia, even before we moved home, it was like mid-2012, so midway through our time there. And we thought, let's just invite 60 friends and family that we know will care about this to a, a friend's cafe. Our friends at this cafe just said, we'll host, give you the staff and all the food and stuff for free, so there's no cost. And then we just used photography and storytelling and kind of converted the cafe into an art gallery and invited guests to just come in. And you know, I, I spoke very briefly, but it was very informal. People could just wander through the cafe like it was an art gallery, eat and drink, enjoy a good time and just engage with the stories and, and donate as they felt led. And that night we raised $16,000 from 16 yeah. people. And uh, obviously through the connection to us, we're able to guarantee all that money is going. There were no fundraising costs here. You know, the, the cafe held this event for free and we could put it into the hands of the team directly and then they would go and continue their work. And the best part was a year later we could then run another event like that in 2013 invite those same 60 people back and then the new stories on the walls this year were the stories of where their money had gone from the previous yeah, event just what, what so, how empowering it yeah. has been and i think that's yeah. that's the point at which i got involved because i remember seeing some of those you know you've done some great videos and it is so full of hope and optimism and mm. what i loved about it was this sense of empowerment it is about sustainable it's it's not sort of you're not sure where your money's going. It really is making a difference mm. on the ground. And you were saying yep. that you you used kind of the the model that uh, that Charity Water had used. This yeah. sort of really being transparent and trying yep. to make sure that as much as possible of a donor's donation goes directly to the people that they want to help. So I loved that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We um, I think just from those early days of just running annual events, really just took a step back and thought, what's worked here? Well, it's been storytelling. It's been the removal of any kind of questions of how much of my money is going to the, to the field mm -hmm. and just connecting then these beautiful people, these, these donors with the impact of, of what they've done. And so when we moved home in 2013 and, and started to think, what would this look like as a legit not-for-profit um, in Australia, we launched this Forever Projects in 2015. And then, as you said, we really integrated a lot of that those wins from the early days and charity ward has been such a, a huge like pin-up poster for us as a charity. Yeah. yeah. So so years later we kind of took those early donors to Forever Projects and said, would you be willing to fund our operational costs as we kind of scale and grow as an organization? So that if people like you, Kat, come along and go, I'd love to be part of this, then mm. their their funding of the operational costs in Australia mean that 100 percent of every donation, every cent that you give will go to the project in Tanzania. So it was really that first year or two of just trying things and noticing what was working and then turning that, putting a business model and some real structure and stuff around it, I think that's helped us accelerate the last couple of years, yeah. Yeah, and, you, and you've made it really easy to, to get involved at the level at which you feel comfortable. You know, it's, it's a sort of mm. what you were saying was that gives some sense of continuity so that the organizations on the ground who are really making the difference can can then count on that money. There's not this sort of scarcity yeah. constantly thinking, yeah. oh, where's the next penny? We can't do this project because we don't know if we can actually fund it. You can look at it and say, yeah. right, we've got this many donors and they're 
they're consistently mm-hmm. showing up month by month, which is yeah, just incredible. Yeah. 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 And we'd um over the last it was the end of last year we reached a great milestone where we'd we've now sent a million dollars um to to Tanzania oh. and the projects and and since that that you know those those early days of now this team in Mwanza Forever Angels Baby Home have like turned this 12-month project for these women into a social franchise that's so robust and so impressive and they've scaled it to three other cities through three other NGOs that are like-minded in mission and values with family preservation and keeping kids with families so now there's been more than a thousand kids that have gone through this project that have never needed to enter an orphanage and they've, they've been cared for that their, their, their nutrition's been addressed their caregivers been set up in a business and within 12 months they're independent and so that's that's been amazing but I think the to get to this point really that that million dollars and those first thousand babies that have been helped in their caregivers and that's been all through really like one-off donations um, some grants some you know fundraising campaigns all that sort of stuff but we've realized now the team they're in four different cities and it's become a really serious kind of operation and so for them to have the the appetite and the the bravery to scale to a fifth or a sixth location they've got to worry about their existing running costs as well as the cost to expand. And so the idea of really trying to scale up our monthly givers um, in this next season at Forever Projects is so important because they can then say, all right, you know, for example, in April, I can, we've just sent an email to our four teams saying we guarantee this quarter is another 10,000 each coming in. And we've never been able to give them that kind of predictability before. So that, yeah, yeah that, that kind of growth of our, of our collective to, to steal the title from the collective. No, the I love, I love a collective. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, everybody just yeah. the little bit that they can and, and just showing up. And, and what I really, yeah. really, I think for me, what resonates so much is that idea of empowering people to find the solutions on the ground. So you're not coming in and saying, mm-hmm. here's what you need to do. No. With money. It's, it's all about no. people who are really there on the ground yeah. saying here's the best way culturally and you know from what we can see from our experience what we were lacking was just that consistency of funding but we we've got totally. the solutions which is brilliant yeah 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 and and i love thinking about us as a global team where when you think about in any team like people should be able to focus on their unique value add to the, the change that they're making and as you said I've got no business coming in as some white guy from Australia and giving any input into what a development project in Tanzania looks like, like these amazing staff know their culture and their people better than us. Um, but, but in terms of then how to raise funds from a country like Australia or from the UK or anywhere else, like we can help and we've got a unique value contribution we can make there that those teams can't. And as a team, we're much better together because we're each focusing on the thing that we're naturally good at. And in, I guess, a context to um, really excel at so yeah. yeah and that must be an amazing thing for your for your adopted children to be mm. able to say that there is that real connection culturally with, yeah. with everything that's going on yeah. phenomenal yeah mm. yeah yeah and we um were able to, to go back with our kids in 2019 now that our, our youngest was old enough as a family and with another other like a few other families in the forever projects community and um and visit obviously lots of parts of tanzania that were so important to us as a family that we we loved when we were there but also for them to see the baby home they were from and see you know there's there's now only 30 kids in that baby home when they were when they were there in 2010 there were 65 so to see the numbers of kids drop and understand that their story as as adopted children into our family and then the way that their story has made a ripple 
you know, in Australia and then in a way that's impacted on kids that had a similar start to life that they did. That's, um, yeah, they're still very young, but I think that's going to be a really positive part of their story to, to know that. And they yeah, can embrace this, that, you know, it really is yeah. something they can own and, and yeah. 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 So there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pride in it, a lot of pride in it for them, oh, um, right. which is great. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, mean, I mean, this is, there's such an act of generosity, not only with with the, the dedication that you've given to raising a family, but also just how much you've turned around and said, we can even do more. There's always more. So I am so intrigued to hear about, you know, the act of simple kindness that's kind of impacted you that you wanted to share. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this as um, just beforehand. And there's one that stands out it was actually during uh, when I did the MBA, as, as I'm sure people listening know. Well, as you said at the start, we met coaching the Alt MBA, and I did that as a student in February 2019, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one particular post where it was it was talking about like good finding, finding the good in others. And mm-hmm. I'd written something about you know that being a practice and how it felt so you know uplifting when you could see someone and the intent that they were operating from when they were doing something good or something kind, and then you could actually call it out and say, "Hey, I, I saw that really generous and kind act." And, and affirm them for it. And then this, this one of my peers, you know, as you're commenting on posts, she wrote, that's great, Mark. Like, who is it in your life that's acting in that way for you? And it just, uh, I can't remember exactly the way she phrased it, but it really opened up this thing for me to realise I need to try and more intentionally surround myself with that opportunity of people to speak into my journey and say, I see where you're going, Mark. I see the obstacles. I see your intent. And to surround myself, I guess, with... I guess more more people that could guide me and, and coach me in, in that change I was trying to make because I think I naturally fall into the role of, you know, with I guess with six kids and being a school teacher, you naturally fall into that role of coaching and guiding others. Yeah. But it was, it was just, just this simple comment made me realise it's so important for me to be coached and guided too and I need to make sure I, it was almost like this permission slip for me to actually go and make sure I surround myself regularly with people that will see my intent, see what I'm doing, affirm it, encourage it, stoke the fire. Yeah, that, that's really it's very simple, but it, it, it was an instigator for a lot of change in terms of how I structure my time. And Yeah, and, and I think it's a powerful motivator, isn't it, when people do see you and go, wow, you know, I just, I'm so impressed, I'm so inspired, and it does yeah. It just keeps you going in those moments where perhaps yeah. you're thinking, whoa, this is this is harder than I thought it was going to be or, yeah, totally. there's challenges coming up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And I think prompt date, that that good finding is yeah. is for me one of the highlights of the old MBA because it's it's always just that moment where people go, oh, yeah, I can just use this. You know, yeah. It's free. I can I can just yeah, live my life. Totally. Finding it all the time and seeing people visibly rise in their seats when you find something that they're doing well and you yep. call them out on it is such powerful yep. stuff. So yep. and it, yeah. you mentioned obstacles and challenges. And I can, for me, you know, you must have come across so many sort of little mm. baby challenges all the way through this process. But What's been the the biggest challenge you've had to face? Yeah, I think yeah, there's been been quite a few. I think there's um, one particular was really the Alt MBA was really the catalyst for me exploring 
how to overcome this obstacle. So at the end of 2018, we had a big year with Forever Projects, um, but I was still teaching mathematics full time. I was actually the head of the maths department at the school. Um, you know, we've got six mouths to feed. So it was, you've got very real needs of making sure your family's needs are met and that you're not too busy and too like your attention is too scattered that you can't be, you know, my, my most important role is as a husband and as a father for, for my kids, but forever projects was growing and needing more attention itself. And so I felt like we were talking with Brett, you know, one of the coaches at one point and it felt like I had one foot in one canoe, which was kind of the, the teaching career and one foot in the forever projects canoe. And they were kind of getting further apart and it was really starting <laughs> to hurt. Not gonna spread. <laughs> my legs. Yeah. So it was that really first half of the year of 2019, working out how am I going to be brave enough to pitch to people in our core community? They're the people that fund our operational costs or invite new people in to say, you know, we've been able to grow this thing to this point and it really feels like to get to the next level, not because I'm so amazing or something, but it, it needs someone that's got the actual time to lead it and steward it properly. Mm. And so actually getting up in front of crowds or one-to-one -one having conversations and saying, I, I see that you resonate with this cause. Would you be willing to, to back me for one year to have a crack at doing this properly? Because not as some kind of charity as in poor Mark, but as in this possibility here. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I found that process quite confronting because um, it's one thing to say, fund a Tanzanian team or even as, you know, before I got involved as a paid staff member at Forever Projects, fund our creative director or fund a videographer. Like when it's someone else, it doesn't feel as hard mm. to ask. Mm. Um, but putting but your name above the door you. almost and saying, yeah, will you, will you yeah. invest in me? Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, that was challenging. And I think at the same time knowing I had, I had a deadline of, I think it was June 2019 where I needed to give notice to my school for the following year as to whether I was going to stay full time or go part time. So the clock was really ticking as to, can I get enough people across the line to back me to, yeah. you know, take this break in my career? I wasn't leaving teaching. I was just dropping it down a couple of days a week just to provide yeah, more time and space. So that, that was a really challenging couple of months, you know, in hindsight. I, I mean, of all the years to start working properly in a not-for-profit 2020 with COVID. Oh my <laughs> um, that yeah, was really, really challenging. But, I, but all year I thought, imagine if I hadn't, like I knew within my heart, like myself, I just knew that was the right time to leap. And if I hadn't done it, I would have been still managing a, a mathematics department full-time mm -hmm. during COVID. So mm -hmm. transitioning kids to online learning and trying to navigate a not-for-profit through, you know, COVID and kids at home, online learning. I just, it would have broken me. So I think... Yeah. I think there's times in our journey when we get a sense that the, the opportunity costs of not doing this thing now is going to be really huge and I've just got to follow that intuition and, and make the jump and make it happen. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think that, that's, that's probably so good. insightful for so many people. It's that you don't know the next step, you know, it's not that obvious, but it's that how do I, and, and you ha almost have created a little bit of and both, but by taking that time out from teaching, you've, you've created the the momentum and 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 that's I think that's what's showing you know that suddenly mm. it went from being oh yeah there's Mark and he's got his story with the forever projects mm. this is now really being taken seriously and I've seen the marketing sort of start to really mm. those stories are really getting out there which is powerful stuff yeah. and that's that's how it's going to grow yeah. you know and you yeah. kind of yeah. you can't stay too small because because otherwise it will yeah. peter out and as you said you, that's right you were describing how you know you only have 
so much influence within your so those original six, 16 people that came to you know you mm. need to expand it and, and there are so many people out here who are mm -hmm. really interested yeah. to to get involved in projects yeah. like this so yeah i think it's like riding a bicycle you know if you if you if you go too slow you're going to fall off yeah. um so you need to momentum is so important and then and then in that process, thinking about, you know, when you're riding a bicycle to maintain momentum, you've got to be able to look around and go, okay, what's the, what's the geography? Is there a hill? What's over the, what, what's coming up? And someone's got to be going, it's one thing to say we need momentum, but what will we need to, what capability or what will we need to be doing now to get over that hill that we can see? And if no one's looking, um, it's hard to know what those obstacles will be. So I think having, yeah, time and space in that role of strategy and vision, um, and then, it's, and then just really again, having that courage of conviction to say, I'm just going to, you know, I love what you're saying about a year. I'm going to take a year and then mm. take another look and Re see what that looks like. Yeah. And, but but yeah. rather than overthinking it and thinking yourself out of that paper bag of like keeping going around in circles, it's like, I'm just going to take this one action, which is to create that mm. space and mm -hmm. then see, see, um, yeah. which is always risky. You know, as you said, you've, you've got yeah. you've six kids to, to make yeah. sure you can kind of maintain that at the same time, but, and yeah, yeah. overcoming it all in the middle of COVID, which is just so incredible. <laughs> so incredible. But, but probably it's needed even more than ever you know, mm. because of that. Yeah. Um, and definitely. Yeah. 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 And I, th I think too, like COVID for so many businesses really surfaced so many truths that maybe were just lurking beneath the surface. And mm -hmm. I think if you haven't had an appetite to really see what does this reveal about our business, our strengths, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, where the market we, we thought it was, where has it moved to, what team do we need? The, the transformation in front of projects last year, you know, beneath the hood of the, of the, of the car, so to speak, like we've come out of that um, so much stronger and yeah. in, a, in a way that helps us, you know, we've, we've built a team that is, is the right team to take the, the movement forward in this, you know, you know, we're not going back to normal, the new normal of it's got to be digital. Um, how are you engaging in such a, you know, uh, oversaturated digital space? Um, yeah. Just yeah. That, that, that process I think surfaced stuff for us. And I think, again, if you're, if you're willing to, see those hard things and then make some brave decisions um you can come through it stronger than you were before but you've got to have the willingness to see the hard things <laughs> and even though that it's a very overcrowded digital space you know i do believe there's a crowd for everyone you know that your stories mm -hmm. resonate with a certain person yep. and the more that you can consistently put them out there and and create that sort of yep. opportunity then then it's that snowball effect, isn't it? It just starts to sort of, totally. I'll talk to a friend and then, and then this podcast happens yeah. and yeah, all that stuff. So yep. Fantastic. Totally. Fantastic. So how much of, um, you know, we finish up with the story around music, how much of a, a music person are you? What, what does music mean to you? Yeah, I love music. I'm a, I'm a child of the, well, teenager of the nineties. So grunge was, was my kind of thing growing up, Fantastic. but when you, yeah, but, but when I was thinking about what music, do I think about what, what, you know, artist or what particular piece really stood out to me? There was, um, there was a period. Oh, so, so my answer is Sigur Ross. I love oh, Sigur good, Ross. Good, good. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, yes. I'm and, a fan. And, and anything. Yeah. And anything from them is just amazing. And I remember, um, you know, we talked a bit about story. I remember like, you know, our 
three and a half years in Tanzania, there was a period right in the middle. It was a long middle period where, you know, this is a whole nother podcast, a whole nother <laughs> discussion <laughs> around the, the, the ups and yeah, the ups and downs of the adoption process um, in oh. Tanzania. There was a period where it was a really difficult stretch and it was probably more than a year where it was just a really difficult period of that process. And, um, and my mum was at home in Australia at the time and she was, she was, she'd had, um, a diagnosis of bone cancer just shortly after we started fostering our kids. And so we couldn't move home because we didn't have adoption orders for them. And my mum was able, she was able to visit soon after she was diagnosed, but then I wasn't able to come back because she was on chemo. And so there was this long period of time where we're like, are we actually going to get this done and move home yeah. You know, before? Because, you know, with bone cancer, you're either going to pass away from it or with it, but you don't, you don't beat it. Um, and so there were periods of time where I like might have middle of the day, put the kids down for a sleep and was just exhausted. And I would just lie in my bed under the mosquito net and put the headphones on and just put Sigur Ross on. And, um, yeah. and just, just that, that music now when I hear it just reminds me of being in the middle of a tough story. And I think there's times when if I'm ever, you know, in any story, the kind of beginning happens nice and fast and it's exciting. All of a sudden it, it ends, but there's that long middle period that we, yeah. when we're trying to push for change or something we really care about, that's the hard part when it's, it's tempting to go, I don't know if I've got it to get through this. And that music really takes me back to that period of my life. And, and um, yeah, I, I think I just remind myself there is a long middle to every story, but just, I guess, remind myself of the, the postures and, you know, your, your purpose to get through whatever it is you're getting through. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's why it's, not particularly any track from them, but just that. The whole album kind music. of thing. Yeah, just that music yeah. to take you to that place of I just need the resilience to know it's not maybe not okay at the moment, but it will be okay. And yeah. I'm just not quite at the end yeah. yet. Yeah, that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Gosh. And, and yeah. I just have this feeling that that's an association, I mean, with your mum and just that whole idea that mm. She's kind of with you in spirit, you know, whenever you mm. listen to the music and just knowing, mm. seeing what you were doing. Totally. Such powerful stuff. Yeah. And and we were so fortunate that, you know, we moved back end of 2013 and, and mum lived till mid-2016. And so we had two and a half years yeah. with our whole family back home, you know, and she'd be, she was just the most amazing woman. She would be, you know, she'd go from a chemo session to then she'd, you know, come along and pick up the kids and take them for you know, a day and she'd cook with them and then she'd bake a lasagna on the side and drop them home later in the day and drop lasagna off. And just like, she just embodied resilience. So I think, um, I think even though she was, th that was the hard part of that journey, like being away and, and not knowing how that was going to resolve. I think there's so much of her, um, and I've reflected on this, especially since her passing, like there's so much of her resilience and her just the ability to turn lemons into lemonade that that's in me. And I can, like you said, like if I listen to that music or remember that, like that that way of showing up in the world, that's that's in me, and, and I can remember her and you know honor her life by living in that same way whenever I face you know difficulties and adversity. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is it's almost like you know that the the student who prompted you and said, "Who does the good finding for you?" Mm. And it's almost like, well, yeah. there she's just yeah being it. Yeah, I actually I like that that was a. Yeah, it's like this is all flashing back now. Like that was a trigger for me to go back during the LTMA actually, and really just spend some time at you know at the memorial um, where she's at, 
and just spend some time in silence. You know, that, that whole prompt is about silence and good finding intention. And yeah, I think, I, I think because of just the chaos of life with six kids, I probably hadn't really processed her passing mm. um, probably, and you know, you never going to fully, but I, I remember that prompt was a catalyst for me to really process the impact she'd had on me as someone like she was totally someone who, when you're in her presence, she, she held space. She saw you, she affirmed you. Yeah. Not just going, well, I miss that, but she's in me and I have you and as a, as a dad, as a school teacher, as a leader, as a coach, I can bring that to the space wherever I am um, and really? continue that legacy, you know? So oh, beautiful yeah. story, beautiful story. What a wonderful addition yeah. to the, the playlist. So thank you for sharing that. That's um, mm. Yeah, it's a right. personal story, but I love it. No, just beautiful. Yeah. And so, so I mean, gosh, you've got wisdom just tripping over yourself. There's so much wisdom's come out of this. But what's the what's the one piece of wisdom that you kind of go back to, back and back? Mm. I think that the personally, and I think probably for a lot of people, this will resonate. Uh, the temptation for me as someone who sees lots of opportunities and lots of possibility is to become too busy and too scattered. I'm the kind of person that even on a menu, when I'm at a restaurant, I'm like, <laughs> I want everything. And there's, there's no margins. There's no margins. There's like entree, there's starters, there's the main, there's dessert. Um, and I, I think I, I've got a tendency to kind of approach life like that, but I'm noticing that when I have the discipline to create really, not just create, but like sustain really healthy margins in my time, um, and so don't feel every minute, you know, share your time to, as, as Seth would talk about, you know, to just let yourself get bored. Yeah. Kind of knowing, knowing where your boundaries are, sort of finding your boundary, yeah. which is, yeah, such a powerful yeah. thing. To yeah. Do. Yeah. But I think in, and what you notice in that, and then again, this isn't, this isn't why you would do it. You do it because you're a human and you need to rest. But the, the, the kind of ironic thing, I guess, is that, our brains and I was reading this book deep work by Cal Newport and he talked about how well, I think what the camera was called restoration something theory which kind of says when we have the discipline to let our brains rest there's some problems and some kind of things that it kind of solves subconsciously that we're not even aware of and we might be just doing nothing productive mm-hmm. quote unquote mm-hmm. go for a walk or just sit outside and look at the trees and all of a sudden some solution comes to us about something that we were thinking about three days ago. Yeah. And I, so I think I've noticed that, that like, that's not why I should be establishing margins. I should be doing it because it's a healthy thing to do. But the, the, the funny thing is um, you actually end up more productive or more impactful when you create and so sustain true. those yeah. spacious margins. So I think in a, you know, in a world where we can, uh, our attention is so sought after, if we've got the discipline to, um, you know, shut the phone off, close the screen, whatever it might be, because, you know, in the end we're, we're busy because we care about things, but maybe we might end up being more impactful if we were less busy. Yeah. Just yeah. slow it down, slow it down. There's that. Mm. I've just been um, listening to Don McPherson, the, um, the monkey mind, taming the monkey mind. Oh yeah. yeah. He talks about yeah. feathering the brakes, you know, cause he works with a lot of racing drivers and it's just that slow down, yeah, almost sometimes mm. slow down to go faster, you know, just take some time, yes. really process yep. it, and then you'll get 
yeah, this inspiration or you'll know, you'll find the answers inside mm. yourself. So true, so true. Oh, yeah, and so hard to do. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> and it, especially when you're in the thick of it and it's like so many things. And it, I mean, if you've got six yeah. kids, you're, you're kind of like, yeah. how do you find the time to sort of create that space that you need? But uh, but it's almost essential. Yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful yeah. bit of advice. Now, um, we're sort of wrapping up with turning around the act of simple kindness into an ask that you might have for my audience. Mm. So yeah. where can people find out about for Forever Projects? And, you know, if they're inspired enough to to become a donor, which you can do for, you know, as, as little as like 20 pounds or yep. 20 euros a, a, yeah. a month you know every little counts mm -hmm. it's the consistency mm -hmm. signing up and saying i'll, I'll donate so where can we find you yeah you're totally right kate like it's it's that we believe in the power of the collective and you know if we had a thousand you think about spotify you know we were talking about spotify before the power of spotify is you've got millions and millions and millions of people who are each giving their small bit to create this collective sum of money that can be used for a value exchange with amazing artists. And if Spotify was a collective of, of 12 people, the, the artists you'd get on there would be terrible. And so we believe in that same principle at Forever Projects. We're kind of trying to build a subscription model to, to people giving. And we, we believe people should just give what's in their hands, you know, so whatever's comfortable for them. You know, it's, it's good to be stretched, but not to break yourself, obviously. And so, um, yeah, so there's a video we've just produced at the end of last year that kind of outlines our story so far and invites people to become a subscriber of Forever Projects and just provide that reliable runway for our local teams to know, okay, we've got our costs covered. We can now look over the hill and expand and, and even make more of an impact. So I guess my ask would be, number one, just check out the video. It's five minutes and simple share would be fantastic. You know, the more eyeballs on that, yeah. you know, and if people, people who are listening to you, it's very likely that they're going to resonate with this and very likely that the people they share it with will resonate too, just because of how yeah, I can say hand work. on heart um, that, that I have had so much great feedback from so many generous listeners and they're all really, really lovely people. They're all really kind. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if people watch the video and then share it and if they feel like they'd like to be part of that, then that we'd love people to subscribe and just give, you know, if it's five, 10, 20, whatever it's in yeah. their heart to give um, per month, then that's going to more, every, every person like that, that joins us just builds the collective power of, of this movement. And you're transforming yeah. lives. You really are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there'll be links to all of that in the show notes. And then, yeah, you can find it on my Instagram feed. I'll definitely link to that video and hopefully be able to share that there as well. And yeah, as you say, what I love about this is it is the power of the collective and it's just that not necessarily knowing all the answers. I think what's, what's come mm -hmm. across most strongly from your story was you just take one step at a time and then see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And then you get to a point where I've got a decision to make, you make the decision and then yep. move forward from there. And it's beautiful work that you're doing. So I have one small ask of you, Mark, would it be possible? Yeah. I don't know if you've got a, fa a family photo. I'd love to see that beautiful family of yeah. and share that on the Instagram with the story because definitely, uh, yeah, so powerful, so powerful. And I'm sure there's lots of big smiles when you uh, when you get together. Yeah, yeah. Look the photo. Yeah, definitely. There's there's one from a recent holiday up at over Christmas. That's um yeah, beautiful photo. Oh, so I'll, I'll get that to you. That would be brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Well, thank you yeah. ever so much for taking the time to join me. It's thank you. been so inspiring to sit here and listen to you and for sharing your stories beautiful stuff thank you thanks kat 
Wasn't that just a beautiful story full of hope and optimism? Mark and Anna really are a remarkable couple and have a beautiful family to show for it who are a real credit to them. And that song that Mark chose, Hoppy Polar, by, by the Icelandic band Sigur Rós, is one of my absolute personal favourites. It's one of the most inspirational pieces of music, which never fails to lift my spirits. I looked it up, and actually Hoppy Polar, or Hoppy Potla, as it's pronounced in Icelandic, maybe not, means hopping in puddles. So now I've got a beautiful image of all those fun walks with the kids, with wellies on, jumping and hopping in puddles to go with the music. And talking of music, I was just so touched recently when I was watching a program about reflecting on the year that's been so tough for so many people since we went into that first lockdown. And I heard the Alone Together choir singing at the end of the program. It was set up by Liam Meyer, who lost his father to COVID. And their song, Thank You, is just such a beautiful way to commemorate and remember all those who've been lost to this horrible disease. I'll be putting the song on the playlist as they are raising money for a national memorial And I'm sending love to anyone who's experiencing the pain of loss of a loved one, or even just the sense of loss when we can't connect with our family and friends in the usual way. Liam has reminded us just how important it is not to suffer alone. And the COVID-19 support network is definitely there to help. And as ever, I'll finish on a thank you of my own. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and for being part of this conversation. I really appreciate you all and I hope you have a good week. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.